1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the word of our Lord. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the person who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For, for, so for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, so with the sexually immoral people of this world, or the greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters, since since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother, If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not to eat with such a one. What have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church who you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray again together. Holy God, we thank you for this passage of of Scripture, for in this passage of Scripture, we see your holiness. And we see, Lord, that you you are calling your people to be holy, even as you are holy. Lord, there is a sense in which we have already been made holy, declared holy. But yet, Lord, we walk out our holiness Lord, we are to continually strive towards that holiness in the strength that you give that is true for us individually and that is true for us corporately. Lord, I pray as as we look at this passage of Scripture together this morning, I I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have a a, a real uh, biblical understanding of, of what church discipline is. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to submit to your word and, Lord, to submit to, to this process Lord, I pray that, that you would help us as a, as a local church for, for your glory and for the building of our local church and, and even, Lord, for the, the salvation of sinners, we pray, Lord, that you would cause us to understand and to practice this rightly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we continued our mini-series on membership in the body of Christ by examining church discipline. And I tried to correct unbiblical caricatures, uh, really um, understandings that people have of church discipline that are really governed by by their their own presuppositions or or by societal um, suppositions or, or even by bad experience that they personally have had. 
Well, in our, our brief series on the local church, initially, if you remember, I explained baptism and the Lord's Supper as pictures of, of our union with Christ. They're vis- visible representations of, of the reality of who we are in Jesus. And then we examined also church membership as a, a solemn covenant where, where we are members of one another. And this is, this is also a picture as we, we love and serve one another, we are a, a reflection of the love of Christ. Likewise, also when we, we're involved in, in seeking to edify and to admonish and even to rebuke one another, we are also reflecting the love of Christ. We looked at church governance, and Joshua taught us very well on, on why, this, why we believe that, that being elder-led, uh, why we are an elder-led congregational church. So elders have a responsibility, is kind of a, like, like a steering wheel, and the, and the congregation is like the emergency brake. But the authority in the, the local churches is not, is not ultimately in a body of elders, but in the local church itself that we all have a responsibility. And we talked about about the way that these things are all interconnected and how even church discipline is is interconnected. As I just shared with the kids, I I personally do not have the authority to to excommunicate somebody or to discipline someone out of the church. This is a local church responsibility. It It is church discipline, not elder discipline. And so all of these things really fit together. And so last week, as we, we began to, to look at this, I, I, there's no way I could have done it in one week. I could, we could spend many more weeks on this. This is really a, a brief overview. But, but last week, we looked at the, the what and the how and the who of church discipline. And, and this morning, I want to focus on the, the when and the why. So very briefly, the, the what. Church discipline really includes formative church discipline. It's where, where the people of God are, are shaped and molded and, and grow according to the word of God. And, and this is as we, as we sit under the ministry of the word of God from the, the proclamation of the pulpit and as we, we interact with each other as brothers and sisters and, and bring the word of God to bear in each other's lives. This is formative church discipline. And really, the vast majority of discipline that takes place in the churches of this kind, it's formative, it's, it's sanctifying. Well, the other type of discipline that we talk about when we refer to church discipline is, is corrective church discipline. And by that, we refer to the whole process of, of, of when you are become aware that a, that a brother or sister is, is, is in a pattern of sin. You, you pray for them. Out of love for them, out of love for God, you you pray for them and and ask that the Holy Spirit would bring them to repentance. And then if necessary, you you, you lovingly come alongside them and and, and encourage them gently and and humbly and meekly to to, to calling them to to what God's word is, is requiring of them in this particular area. And then the process goes on from there to, to, to eventually, if, if they refuse to, once it's, it's taken if before the church and um, if they don't repent and then they're, they're excommunicated from the church and, and then they are, they are, are evangelized as we're, we view them as, as unbelievers, that, that's, the, that, that refers, that's, the, that's corrective church discipline. And, and so with that, there's a, let's just quickly look at, at the how. Um, the, the, the process, and maybe just turn there in your, in your Bible for a moment, please, to, to Matthew chapter 18. 
uh, 15 to 20, which, which really outlines the process. And I spent more time um, on this last week, but, the, but there's really five steps here that really forms the, the, uh, the, the normal process that this is going to go by. So, so after praying, again, you, you go to them alone. Um, you, you can see that there in, in verse 15. And um, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But, but if he doesn't listen to you in verse 16, then you take an, uh, one or two others along with you. And, and really, that's there to, to confirm the, the charge that's been established. We don't individually, be, um, we, we can't just do this um, as individuals. There's, there's witnesses that, that need to be involved in this. Um, and step three, if he refuses to listen to them, then you take it to the church. You, you identify the person and, and the sin that they're involved in. And again, this is, this is not at all uh, about shaming the person, quite, quite the opposite. This is about the local church and as, as a means of grace. Um, the, then those who, who have a relationship with that person are, are to be, well, everyone's to be praying for that person. Those who have a relationship can, can reach out lovingly and call them to, to repentance and, and to return to Christ. But then in, in, verse, um, in verse 17, then if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This is a person that, that you then view as an unbeliever. The, the church, again, this is church authority. The church is saying, again, the church doesn't have an infallibility about this, but the church is saying to this individual that we do not believe based on your, on, on your profession, your, your doctrine, or the way that you are living your life. We, we do not believe that you are genuinely saved. And so then we, we let them be to you as a Gentile and as tax collectors. We, we view them as, a, as an unbeliever. But what do you do with unbelievers? You lovingly share the gospel with them. And we'll talk about this more, but it's, it's not a shunning. Okay, this is, this is, this is that, that you, you still love them, you still pray for them, you still, uh, where appropriate, reach out to them. So those are, those are really the steps. And again, that's the basic procedure. And this is often going to take a long time. In most cases, it's going to take a long time because at every point you want the, you, you're really hoping that the person is going to repent. But there are times when the process does need to be, to be curtailed, when it needs to be sped up, particularly if the person is a, is a danger to the church um, through, through violence or, or um, through their, their um, sexual predation or, or, or even through gossip and slander. They could become a danger to the church and sometimes we need to speed that process up for the protection of the church. So that's, that's the how. And um, again, it's, there's not a, uh, there's, there are times when, even when, when there, I said it's not, it's not shunning, but there are, there are times in when, when you really should avoid that person. And Titus 3.10 gives an example. As, a, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. And, and so he says, have nothing to do with that person. And you still love them, you still pray for them, but, but because of the danger that they pose, in that, in that, system, in that situation, you avoid the person. But, but the, the, most of the time, again, we reach out to the person. We don't, we don't hang out with them as, lo, as though there's nothing, nothing wrong. And, and they would even, in, in most cases, even be welcome to come to church unless, again, they, they, they pose some form of danger. Um, but if you see them at the, at the grocery store, you're not going to hide behind the watermelons. You know, you, you, you're going to approach them and, and reach out to them and, and love them with the love of Christ, genuinely. So again, that's the, that's the, the how, and, and very briefly, the, the who, again, it's, it's us. 
It's the local church. It's not me as an individual. It's not a, it's not a body of, of elders. It's the local church really that has the ultimate authority in that. And, and again, this is for, it's, it's primarily for those who are, are members of the local church, who, are, who have, have formally um, covenanted together with the local church. But, but, but if you are here, as, as a, we have people who, who come very faithfully, who are, we really view as part of our church family, who are, are not members. Um, and, and, you know, again, we hope that they will become members, but, but we will still treat, treat these people as, as they are our brothers and sisters. And so we, they would fall into this, into this category as well. Um, so it's, it's the, the who is us. So, um, then let's, let's first I want to talk about the, the when, and, and I'll deal with that more quickly, and, and then I want to spend a little more time on the why. Um, in, uh, in, in Jonathan Lehman's little book in the Nine Marks Building Healthy Churches series, there's a little book called Church Discipline, How the Church Protects the Name of Jesus is the subtitle. And, and he really identifies three key um, things that would, would be involved when we're, when we're coming to, to a formal um, church discipline process, that the sin must be outward, serious, and repentant. Okay, outward, serious, and uh, did I say repentant? Outward, serious, and unrepentant. That's very important. Okay, outward, serious, and unrepentant. So first of all, outward. Um, the, when, he, when he talks about sin being outward, he's, he's really talking about, about sin that is really obvious. Okay, sin that is really, um, really, really clear. So, so examples would be, uh, you know, things like, like in 1 Corinthians, sexual immorality. Like that's, that, that's very clear. What, what is sexual immorality and, and what isn't sexual immorality is very, very clear. Okay, it's, it's outward. Um, and it, it's easily, it's identifiable. Okay, so, so um, by that, we, we mean that, that you, can, you can easily tell who's, who's involved in these things. But, but again, this is not, um, not just of, of an individual saying, okay, well, this, this person's involved in sexual immorality. We, the process involves others. It involves bringing one or two others along and then, and then the local church. And, and again, I, I neglected to say earlier that, that, that the eldership would be, would be brought into this process. You, you know, the second step or the third step generally, um, the, the elders in the church would be responsible to, to come in and to, um, to have input um, in this process. But, uh, but it's, again, it's, it has to be provable. It has to be provable. Um, when we, we look at, at, at sins like, like greed, okay, so greed is, is something that it's, 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 a, it's a serious sin, but, but it's not really, it can't really be proven. Okay, so it's not really something that, that, the, that the church would really be able to, to engage in at least formal church discipline in the sense of, of, um, of going all the way to excommunication or pride, you know, if we were going to discipline someone out of the church for being proud, we, we, there wouldn't be a church, right? There, there'd be nobody left because we all, at, at some point, on some level, face and, and, and ex- exhibit pride. But, but it's, it's um, a, again, so it's, we're, we're talking really about sins that are, that are outward. And, and you'll see, I think, why when I talk a little bit, in a little bit about um, one of the issues is, is the reputation um, of the church and the reputation of Christ and, and, and why, it's, why these things um, need to be outward and, and really truly established. Um, the next thing that he mentioned, so first is outward, then serious. And again, all sin is serious. Right? All, all sin is, is mortal. 
Like there's not just the seven deadly sins, they're all sin is deadly. When we, when we talk to, to somebody who's, um, when we're sharing the gospel with, with somebody, um, we can talk about, about individual sins yeah, I think that the God's laws is really helpful in, as a, as, as to, to show people their hearts and their, their need for, uh, for repentance, but, but really it's, it's not even so much the individual sins that, that warrant the wrath of God. It's, it's, even though that's, that's true, it's, it's really all sin. I sometimes I differentiate between like small s sin, which are the individual sins, and capital S sin, which is really for the unbeliever, their whole life is sin. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. So, so again, all, all sin is serious. But, but, but some sin is more serious than others. And, and some sin does, does require a, a more judicious uh, approach in the, in the involvement of the local church in, in helping to, to deal with that. And so, you know, we, we, I don't think we would discipline someone out of the church for gluttony. Okay, but, but, but again, that, so when I say we wouldn't discipline someone out of the church for it, that doesn't mean that we wouldn't practice church discipline in the issue of gluttony. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, if, if, if there's somebody that, that, that you are, are concerned has, a, um, has an issue with gluttony, and just, just one example, if, if you have a concern about that, well, again, first you should pray for that person. Okay, and then, then you should then, um, where, where appropriate in the context of a, of a loving relationship, you can, you can come alongside that person and, and talk to them about it. You know, and it's, uh, um, one of my professors in seminary, um, unfortunately, he, he taught us about, about gluttony the, the, the day before American Thanksgiving. When I think there's, it's a whole nation of gluttons. I don't think Canadians are much better in that regard, but, but I went down to, to Tennessee to, with, a, with a buddy of mine from seminary, and, and let me tell you, they do Thanksgiving right, and it was, it was a whole weekend of, of, of gluttony, unfortunately. I'm, I'm confessing here, but anyway, it, the, the point is that, that we, we're not going to, um, that's, that's the type of sin where, where you can come alongside somebody and encourage, if you see a pattern uh, of uh, of gluttony in their life, you could lovingly approach somebody that you have a relationship with and talk to them about it. Again, that's just one. You could, you could, you could do the same thing if somebody, um, I mean, I've had friends do this with, with my chronic lateness. And believe it or not, I've actually improved in that. Um, but, but brothers have, have lovingly come alongside me and said, John, like you're really, um, and I'd never seen it in this way, but he, he said, brothers, you're really, or he said, John, you're not really loving us. When you're, when you're chronically late, you're, you're implying that your time is more valuable than our time when you keep us waiting. And so that was really a form of, that was like an, an initial step of, of church discipline. And again, not to the point, I don't think I'd be disciplined out of the church for being late. Okay, but, but, but my point is that, that, that we, there's a process that's involved here and we're going to only take it to the point of excommunication if it's, if it's a more grievous um, type of sin. With that, let's just, I want to just, just briefly, because of a question that, that, that I had after the service last time, wh- what would you do if somebody um, insults you or, or if somebody is rude to you? You know, w- would, you, would you practice um, church discipline? Well, I, had a, I was talking to a pastor yesterday and, and somebody um, approached him um, with, a, with a, a list of grievances and kind of top among the, the list was, was that, that he had looked at her in a particular way. 
when, uh, when he was walking down the hallway. And she was really serious and, and very uh, offended by this. But, and he tried to, to deal with it with her and said, I don't, I don't have funny looks on my face sometimes. But, but it's, it's, well, he didn't say that. I said that, but, or I, th- I thought that. But anyway, um, it's, it's not, if you are personally offended with somebody, that's not really the time to, to go and, and to deal with that person. Because the motivations we'll talk about for church discipline is, is really for, for, for ultimately for the glory of God and, and for the good of that person. Not, not because, of, uh, because of a personal offense. If you have a personal offense, you, you are really, you have your own set of issues that, that you need to deal with and, and you really shouldn't talk to that person. You need to, as you pray for them, you really need to, to pray for yourself as well. So again, it's, it's, it's ultimately for the glory of God and, and it's also, um, but if this person has a, a pattern of, of behaving in this way and, and speaking rudely to you or, or to other people, that, then it's, it's, it's appropriate for you to go in and to lovingly talk to them about it. You know, privately, not talking to other people about them, but, but talking to them personally. And again, I, I don't think that we would, would practice, um, depending on, I guess, the extremes, we might consider it, but, but generally we wouldn't practice church discipline for, for that kind of an, an offense. And you could even, though, I think there'd be time to even to bring somebody else alongside. I don't, I don't think really necessarily for, the, um, for establishing a charge, even though that could be part of it, but, but, but really largely for the purposes of mediation. That sometimes when there's a, where there's an, a you know, people just kind of like, like that, they need somebody to, to stand in the middle and to, to, to be a peacemaker. You know, I really would commend to you um, the, the peacemaker material. If there's, the, there's a little two-page pamphlet, if you'd like a copy of this, I'd be most happy to, to give it to you. It's from the, um, from the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the children of God. Um, if we are children of God, which I, I, I trust most of not all of us are here, then, then we are all peacemakers and called to be peacemakers. And that would just be really helpful material just to, to quickly help you to understand how you can be involved in being a, a peacemaker in your own relationships and in the relationships of, of others. But again, if somebody's got a pattern of, of this type of behavior, you, you, you really, for them and for the glory of God, it, it, you really do need to talk to them about it. Um, but then it's also, if you see the, we are all capable of, of being rude to people, perhaps especially in, in marriage. We can, we can really sometimes, you know, we're tired or cranky or whatever, we can, be, we can say something rude um, to our spouse. And of course, we're sinning when we, when we do that and when we need to repent. But, but one of the things that is really a, a blessing is, is, that, is, is the, the opportunity that we have to, to overlook an offense. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, love covering a multitude of sins does not mean that you, you ignore a pattern of sin. It doesn't mean that you, you don't lovingly um, go to, to that person. You know, you really do need to talk to them, but it's... But there's a, again, what's the, the purpose in you doing it? Is, is it because it's for you, because of you personally, or is it because of the glory of God and, and for that person? It's very, very important. You also need to remember that we are capable, uh, again, of, of doing the same thing. We can be so offended when somebody else is, is rude to us, but we, we can be rude to them as well. Ecclesiastes 7, 21 and 22 says, Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. 
So, so don't, don't take it to heart. You could, you could think, okay, well, I love my brother or sister. Maybe they're having a bad day. This is quite often when somebody's rude to us, it's really not about us. It's really about, about their issues and their, their attitudes. So, so that's, that's dealing with at least part of the, uh, part of the when. Here in 1 Corinthians, though, it's the, the, the when is really obvious. It, it's gross sexual immorality. This, this individual is, is committing sexual immorality with his father's wife. And, and so it's, 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 this is very serious sin. When you look at the book of, of 1 Corinthians, there was a lot of sin that was taking place in the Corinthian church. And a, a number of, of those sins, I think, would have come to the point uh, of where the church should practice church discipline. But the one that, that Paul zeroes in on here for the purpose of church discipline is this one. It's this one. Because it's, it's of its particular, uh, particularly gross form of, of immorality. But again, it's, it's, it's church discipline when it comes to the, the purpose of, of um, of, to the point of excommunication is, is not just for, for, for so-called serious sins like, like sexual immorality. Scripture presents cases of people being disciplined for, for laziness or divisiveness or, or heresy. Again, these are all serious in, in their own right, it's, but it's not just, we can, we can have a tendency, especially when it's a sin that we don't per- personally struggle with, we can have a tendency to, to put one sin above, uh, above all the others and say, well, well, the, the sin that they're doing, that's really bad, but my sin, well, that's, that's not too bad. We need to, we need to remember, that again, that all sin is serious, but when it comes to formal discipline, it, it's really the, the, most, uh, the, the more grievous um, forms uh, of sin. At my, my church in, in, in Louisville, uh, on more than one occasion, somebody was disciplined out of the church for, for lack of church attendance. Now, that doesn't mean just they, they, they didn't come one Sunday because they were sick and they were, they were disciplined out of the church. This is when someone has a, has a pattern of, of not coming to church and that they're really, um, they're, they're not involved in, in the local church. They're really, they're, what it's really showing, when somebody doesn't want to come to church, there's, there's often a deeper underlying issue. You know, either there's a personal offense that they have that's causing them to stay away or there's, there's some secret sin that they're, that they're not wanting to face and not wanting to deal with, so they stay away. So quite often, if, as, 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 you, as you deal with that, um, you, you begin to expose that there's, there's other stuff going on. You know, it used to say years ago, it said in our, in our bylaws that if you, um, if you don't attend church for six months, um, you'll get visited by an elder well, if you don't come for a few weeks, I'm going to be on the phone to you. Or your brothers and sisters will be on the phone to you saying, what's going on? Are you okay? Is everything all right? Um, so we, we, we changed the bylaws to, to reflect that, that if, if somebody is not fulfilling their responsibilities as, as part of the local church, that, 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 that they will be approached to, to, to hopefully deal with, with some of those, those issues and expose what's going on underneath. But really, the, the, the only time, um, the only reason, the only thing that could cause somebody to be disciplined out of the church is a lack of repentance. The only sin that could cause you to be excommunicated from the church is a failure to repent of your sin. 
It doesn't matter what, what your sin is. If you are repentant, you will be, be welcomed back into the church. You know, a lot of sin doesn't involve, involve legal, legal repercussions. We've even had a situation in, in the church here a few years ago where, where somebody was not legally allowed to come to church. But we still viewed that, that person uh, as a brother in Christ. You know, even if, if, if your sins were to, to land you in jail, if you are genuinely repentant, you, even though you can't physically be here, you will still be viewed as a brother or a sister, still as part of the local church. So I really need to say this emphatically, that the only time that someone will be removed, will be removed from the church and viewed as, as being an, an unbeliever is, is if they do not repent of their sin. That is very, very important. So that's the when. That's the when. Well, that, now let's just let's have a look at, at the why, the why of church discipline. First Corinthians chapter five really shows us some of the, the main reasons for the, the practice of discipline. For the it, it's for the reputation of the church. It's for the salvation of the individual. It's for the health of the church. And it's all for the glory of God. And you can see that all right here in this text. Um, these, are, these aren't in order of importance, but, but in the order that I, that I see them here in the text according to Paul's logical sequence. So first of all, the reputation. Church discipline provides protection for the church and, and more importantly, for the Lord that she represents. Look at verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 5. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans for a man has his father's wife. Even pagans were disgusted by this type of behavior. But the Corinthian church was, was allowing it in their midst and they were even, even it seems celebrating. He says, he says and, and you are arrogant. I think probably what's happening here is saying, well, look at us. Aren't we a gracious people? Because we're, we're allowing this, this in our midst. This is, it was obvious the church knew that this was going on and they were tolerating it in their midst, something that, that even pagans thought was horrific. Now, our culture has degenerated to, to, to such a point where, where, where there's a lot of gross sexual immorality that is being celebrated it, it, that is being celebrated and, and really lauded. The, the culture is never, is never our standard. It's only and always God's word. And, and you will hear, even in the visible church, you will hear people trying to, to even twist scripture and, and use it in, in order to justify sins that the Bible very clearly says are wrong. So the, the culture is never the standard. It is always God's word that is the standard. And so we must continually submit ourselves to God's word, not to our cultural presuppositions. You know, you, you, I've heard it said that you, don't, you, you never ask a fish what it feels like to be wet. A fish doesn't have any concept of wet. It just is. That's, that's what the fish knows. And, and we in our culture, we... We, 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 we sometimes don't realize. 
just how much of an impact our culture has on us. But, but really, in this world, we're like a fish out of water. This world is not our home. So we need to continually go back to God's word to understand what God requires of us. And so Paul is, is, is concerned here, I believe, about the reputation of the church. And we can also go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where he's talking about, uh, about people having a grievance with each other and actually suing each other. And he's, he's talking about, about um, in verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, how dare he go, before, to go to law before the unrighteous instead of before the saints? He's saying that the local church has the, the responsibility and the authority to judge on such cases. And, and, when, and, and you hear about this happening in the culture when, when Christians take other Christians to court, it, it really creates a, a, a public dishonoring a public dishonoring of, of, of the church and a public dishonoring of Christ. And so we, we avoid that. We, we flee that. We should rather suffer ourselves to, to be wronged rather than defame the name of Christ. When the local church practices um, church discipline, there's a, there's a pronouncing of judgment. There's a, there's a judgment that's being made there. And some people are really uncomfortable with that. They'll, they'll quote Jesus from Matthew 7, 1, judge not unless you be judged. Well, it's really pulling that, that verse out of context. We're, we're told to, to judge, but to judge with righteous judgment. You know, we all make judgments all the time, but the issue is whether our judgments are biblical or not. And so in the, in the practice of, of church discipline, too, it's, it's the process of, of excommunication. The church is making a judgment. And no matter what the culture says, the church is called to make a righteous judgment based on the word of God. How many times have you shared the gospel with, with someone only to have them say, well, the, the, I don't want anything to do with the church because the church is, is full of hypocrites. And I'm sure many of us have, have heard that many times. And that, that's, that's really Shameful. That, that, that that would be the case. Now, that person will, will never um, have that as an excuse. I, I've heard, I think it was Spurgeon who said, well, you know, the, the church might be full of hypocrites, but there's always room for one more. <laughs> and so, so, so the reality is that to a certain extent, we're, we're all hypocrites. And we, we need to, to strive against that. There's, there's, we, none of us lives up to the profession of our faith. None of us lives a life that is worthy of the gospel to, to which we've been called. So we strive against sin. But when a church has those whose lives who are, are characterized by hypocrisy, when, when those people are part of a church whose lives are, again, really characterized, like the, the trajectory of their life is, is in, the, in, in favor of, of, of unbelief and sin and instead of, of, of growth and righteousness and sanctification, when that takes place in the context of the local church, it, it's a shame to the local church. And the name of Christ, as Paul says in Romans 2.24, is blast, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You know, so when unbelievers see churchgoers dealing dishonestly in business or regularly showing up late for work or treating their families poorly or, or laughing at crude jokes 
or swearing or speaking ill of others or enjoying God-dishonoring entertainment or, or dressing immodestly or looking at those so dressed or driving aggressively or, or losing their, their temper through the week. When, when, the, when the world sees people who, who act like that regularly going to church, they point the finger and they say, hypocrite. And to an extent, they're right. We are being hypocritical if we behave that way. But we need to admit that, again, that all of us will sometimes engage in many of those sins. So we need to walk in repentance. And when we sin publicly, we need to repent publicly. You know, if, if you have, if you have, have told or, or laughed at, a, at, a, at a, an inappropriate joke in, in the workplace, you should really talk to the people that, that you... Um, th that you were laughing at that with and say, you know, I really shouldn't ha have done that. I'm, I'm dishonoring the name of Christ when I engage in that. And, and so I'm, I'm sorry, please forgive me for, for doing that, for, for dishonoring the name of my Lord. And that's, that's really true for, for any of those here. If, if your sin is public, you need to repent publicly. You know, likewise, if, you, if you've engaged in, in gossip or, or say, saying you know, bad things about other people. You really need to ask forgiveness. Gossip and, and slander, they really, it's, it's really a sin against, against three people. It's a sin against, well, it's a sin ultimately, first against the Lord. But it's also a, obviously a, a sin against the person you've, you've talked about, but it's, it's even, it's a sin against those you've talked to. And so you need to repent in those spheres to the Lord, to the person that, that you have wronged and, and to the others you've spoken to. Again, we, we need to, all of us need to be walking in repentance by the grace of God. But when the church deals firmly and decisively with sin, by dealing with it, by, by lovingly coming alongside somebody and, and taking it even if necessary to the point of removing someone from the, the, their membership in the church, unbelievers take notice of that. And they, unbelievers might think it's harsh, but they will see that the church does not take sin lightly. So may we in this local church, in Providence Baptist Church, may we be a church who does not take sin lightly, first and foremost in our own lives, but also in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's another, um, I believe a related aspect of this as well, is that is that dealing with sin to the point of church discipline can, can actually lead to church growth. It can actually cause the church to grow. And, and I know that sounds ironic, and, and, but, but really that's the reality that, that so often the, the God's ways are so different from man's ways. In fact, they're the opposite of, the, man's ways are the opposite of God's ways. One church growth strategist wrote that if, if we want the church to grow, we need to widen the front doors and narrow the back doors. What he's saying is that we need to welcome more people and allow fewer people to leave. And so that's, that's a way that, that you can, can grow, the church, grow the church. And it's, I mean, that's really, that kind of thinking has really led to the, the church growth movement and, and, and the seeker-sensitive movement that has, has really um, misunderstood the nature of the church. 
The church is really for the church. My job here on a, on a Sunday and, and throughout the week is, is, and is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. As I've said many times, I'm, I'm, the, the, assist, I'm the associate minister. You guys are the ministers. And, and so when we, when we, we, um, when we deal with, with sin in each other's lives lovingly and, and carefully, we're actually, we're actually helping the, the church to, to grow contrary to, to what the, the seeker-sensitive movement would say. Mark Dever, who wrote the book Nine Marks of a, of a Healthy Church, said that instead of that, instead of widening the, 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 the front doors and narrowing the back doors, instead he said we should narrow the front doors and open the back doors. He says that what we need to do is, is to make it harder to join the church and make sure that church discipline is practiced for the, the purity and the health of the local church. And he talks about in, uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention in the, in the early days, this is amazing, but, but, but 2% of the, the local church membership was, was, was excommunicated annually. 2%, two out of every 100 people in local churches were disciplined, were excommunicated from the church. But you know what happened? The church actually grew at double the population rate. Because it was very clear who the church is. And very clear that the church was a place where, where sin was being dealt with. Lovingly, yes, but firmly. There was a clear demarcation between, between what is the church and what is the world. So, so the church... The church grew, it was, it, it, was, it was helpful for the health of the local church, and I'll talk about that more in a moment. But the idea here, again, is, is that, we, we, is that the, the, the person is, the, the sin is, is dealt with lovingly and carefully. And we discussed last week whether somebody who has been, been disciplined out of the church can attend church. And I alluded to this earlier that, that again, if a person does not pose a direct danger to the church, they would be welcome to attend but because we want them to come under the ministry of the word of God. But when somebody is disciplined and then comes back to visit the church, we need to make it clear to, to them and to the local church and, and where appropriate and necessary even to, to, um, to, to those who are um, to others who are, are unbelievers, we need, to, we need to let them know that these people are visitors, that they're not actually part of our local church. And we need to hold that, that clear demarcation down of, of who is part of the church. But quite often through this process, what, what will happen, and I've seen it happen many times in, in my previous church, that when somebody comes to the point of church discipline, even to the point of excommunication, that it leads to Repentance. The person eventually um, comes back and is, is, is rejoined with the local church and with, with the Lord. Well, that, next, that brings us to the next reason why church discipline is vital. is for restoration. So Paul instructs the, the Corinthian church in verse 5, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. It's hoped that, that this person through being removed from fellowship would be brought to repentance. The church here is told to hand this individual over to Satan. 
Now this is kind of a, this is a difficult phrase, but the only other time that it's used in, in 1 Timothy 20, uh, 120, where Paul says that he had handed Hymenaeus and Alexander over to Satan that they might, be, be learn, they might learn not to blaspheme. But handing someone over to Satan su- suggests that they're being handed over to the realm of Satan, that they are, are put outside of the church. Repeatedly in the New Testament, we, we see that, the, that outside of the church is, is, is viewed as the realm of Satan. For example, 1 John 5.19. Uh, we know that we are from God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. As Christians, we have been delivered from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the Son. Colossians 1.13. And so unrepentant sinners are delivered from the church to the domain of darkness. And it's hoped that as they live outside of the regular influence of the community of the local church, that the sinner will see that that they're choosing sin over, over the love of Christ, and over the love of their brothers and sisters in Christ, and that they'll repent and, and come back. Paul continues in, in 1 Corinthians 5 that, that this is for that this person is handed over for the destruction of the flesh. And that's that's also a difficult phrase here. But but we can see that there are quite often physical consequences of sin. Later on in 1 Corinthians 11.30, Paul says that many are weak and sick and that some have died because they're taking the Lord's Supper inappropriately. And Paul even speaks of the the sanctifying effect of physical trials in his own life in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, where he describes his own thorn in the flesh as a messenger of Satan. So there's a sanctifying effect of physical trials, and it's hoped that through this process that this individual will come to repentance. No, it's, it's interesting how much of the societal response to sin involves harm reduction. And in the 80s, there was a very clear uh, move from, from abstinence to harm reduction. The thought was that, well, we can't stop people from doing it, so we might as well keep them from hurting themselves in the process. And, and what that's, that's led to is, is things like, like prophylactics being uh, be, being being handed out so that, that to protect people who are involved in sexual immorality from, from STDs. It's also led to needle programs and, and safe injecting rooms which are established to protect drug addicts from disease and overdose. You know, many of you know my testimony that, that I was a drug addict. And, and, and there was... I. As far as what was available, the, the only drug that, that I know that was available at that time that, that I didn't use was heroin. Because I was afraid of heroin. It, the, the fear of, of getting involved in, 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 in needle use scared me. And so it kept me from at least, be, because it was bad enough as it was, but if I had become addicted to heroin as well, I can pretty much guarantee I wouldn't be here. The Lord has built in consequences of sin to, to protect people from engaging in that sin in the first place. 
and, and also to, to help those who have come out of it to, as they face the consequences. I faced my own consequences because of, because of, of my drug use. I, it affected my mind to the fact that I could, I could hardly even speak. I couldn't even form a sentence because my brain was so fried. And those consequences helped me to, to see the, the dangers of my sin and to, there were means of grace in my life to help me come to repentance and faith in Christ. So in this case here, specifically in 1 Corinthians 5, the hope is that, is that church discipline is going to be a means of grace to help this sinner to come to repentance. And, and that's, that's always a big hope. In fact, it's, it, it, this process includes everything from the, the first step of, uh, of praying for the person then going to them all the way through to, to excommunication and evangelism. The, the process is always hope that the person is going to repent. And brothers and sisters, we're all going to face, all of us are going to face church discipline at some point in our lives. And, and I hope it's, and pray, it's only at the, the initial steps and, and, and that we'll repent and, and the, that's the end of the road with, for that. But we need to learn to love th this process of church discipline in our own life and for the health of the local church and begin to see it as the, the church's love for you, as God's love for you, as a, as a means of grace to help you get back on track. When a young child engages in dangerous behavior, loving parents are going to discipline him or her, enacting consequences to protect their child from the more dangerous consequences. Last night, our, our younger son, Owen, was, was standing on a, on a chair at the dinner table. And I, I told him to sit down. And as he did, he, he stepped off the chair and, and hit his head on the tile floor really hard. And Jane kind of shrieked and, and I jumped up quickly and, and, and he was very, very upset. I, I, I think he was probably more upset because of, of our response than he was of the fall, but, but he proceeded to vomit all over me. Now, of course, given the vomiting, I, we, th we were worried that it was a concussion, and thankfully he didn't, um, he didn't exhibit any of the other signs of a concussion. We kept a very close eye on him, though. But you better believe that, that from now on, when I see Owen standing on a chair, I'm going to deal with it more carefully and more quickly because I love my son and I don't want him to get really badly hurt. Again, like we said to the kids, the, the, initial, the, the initial response of, well, turn please um, to, to, to Hebrews chapter 12. Very quickly, to Hebrews chapter 12. Um, verse five. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. He goes on to talk about how, how in, in discipline, God is treating us as sons. He's treating us as daughters out of love for us. And, and one of the forms of discipline is, is often church discipline. It says it, it's not pleasant, verse 11, but painful. But it later yields a, the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. 
So again, it's, it's, a, it's out of love for you that this church will engage in church discipline. When a, when a sinning believer is rebuked and turned from sin, he is won back to fellowship with the body and back to its head, Jesus Christ. And so the goal of church discipline is not to throw people out. It's not to feed the self-righteous pride of those who administer the discipline. It's not to embarrass people or to exercise authority or, or power over someone in an, an unbiblical or ungodly way. But the purpose here is to restore the sinning believer to holiness and to bring them back into a pure relationship with the assembly. So finally and, and, and quickly, I want to deal with the remedy. And I've gone a little bit long here, but, but I, I want to press on and finish. In 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 to 11, we, we see that really the main reason in this text why, why Paul is, removing the un, is telling the church to remove the unrepentant sinner in this case. And he uses the analogy of yeast. You know, if people make bread these days, they generally just put the ingredients in a bread maker and, and plug it in and leave it there and it just, everything happens automatically. But, but for those who, who make bread by hand, you know what, you, know, you mix the ingredients together and you put the, you put the yeast in and, and knead it together and then you leave it sitting there to rise. And you come back a couple hours later and, the, and you'll find that the, the, the dough has, has risen that's bigger than it was when you left it. It's because the yeast has worked its way through the entire ball of dough. And what Paul is saying here is that that's how sin works. How, that's how sin works. It slowly works through the entire body, often without even realizing it. You know, have you ever noticed how, how you, you often um, pick up the, the, the language and the, at least I do, the language and the, the accent of the people that you spend time with? When, when I lived in Australia, I was there for, for 10 years, and I didn't know that I developed an Australian accent. In fact, I didn't really realize it until I, until I watched my brother's wedding video in which I had prayed and it, was, it had been videoed and it's like, wow, I sounded so Australian. But I had no idea. And, and that's the way it works with, with sin. I'm not saying that Australians are, are, are more sinful than anybody else. But, 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 the, but the fact is the people that we spend time with, we become like them. We get conformed to be like the people around. We're, we're warned about that in, in Proverbs 22, 20, 24, and 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. If you, become, if you hang out with a, an angry person, you are going to become an angry person. You'll be like who you spend time with. You know, in that one particular sin that we have to watch out for in the church is, is bitterness. Bitterness and unforgiveness. The writer of Hebrews um, says um, that in uh, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 5, so that's not the right reference, sorry. Um, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. We need to be on, the gar on guard for this to watch out for this. 
Bitterness spreads through the church and it, and it spreads through sins like, like judgment and unforgiveness and gossip and slander. And if left unchecked, they will spread through the entire body and defile many. So we need to be vigilant about this. You know, if, if you hear someone in, engaging these types of things in, in judgment or unforgiveness or gossip or slander, you, you need to go to them. You know, the, the first person you need to talk to is not me. Again, Matthew 18, go and talk to that person lovingly. Call them to repentance. Tell them that they're damaging the church by, by their behavior. So we need to deal with it. If, if, if a church, church discipline in, the, in this way provides a remedy for a sick body, and we talked this about this last week. Sometimes a, a sick, diseased body part needs to be removed for the health of the rest of the body. Body parts that are infected with cancer or with gangrene pose a serious threat to the rest of the body. We, you try to do all the, the, the things that you can. A doctor, will, he will treat amputation as a, a last resort. Tries to do everything that he can or she can before, before, um, before actually cutting off that diseased body part, but if left untreated, these things will kill the body. Bad company corrupts good morals, 1 Corinthians 5, 33. But good morals also spread, right? That's one of the, the means of grace that the local church is, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Fellowship isn't just sitting together or sitting next to each other for an hour and a half on, on Sunday morning. True Christian fellowship means also engaging with your other brothers and sisters. It means, it means spending time with them through the week and, and talking to them about spiritual issues. It means, it means encouraging them to, to each other to grow in godliness. It means setting a loving example before your brothers and sisters, sharing in joys and trials. And the thought of being removed from that kind of fellowship helps keep people from persisting in unrepentant sin. Because out of ultimate love for God, but also out of love for, for brothers and sisters, the, the thought of being separated from them is really, it's, it's, it's anathema to you. You, you think, I, I, don't, I would feel awful if I was not able to spend time with, with these people that I love so much. And so you want to deal with sin in your own heart, and, and likewise, you want, out of that motivation, you want to, to deal with sin in your brothers and sisters. Because you hate to see that, you hate the thought of them being removed from fellowship. So if you, if you, if you build into other people then, then, and allow yourself to be built, into by, be built into by other people, you're helping to build the church. So really, that, that's, that's really all I need to say, I feel at this point, about, about church discipline. You know, the, the what, the, the how, the who, the when, and the, and the why. But the whole process, I hope you've seen, is, is really for the glory of God. It's out of love for God, out of love for, for his reputation, out of love for those who are called by his name. You want to, to engage in this. 
You, you, you deal with sin, not because you're personally offended, but, but because, you, because you don't want God to be offended. You're, you're concerned about Christ's reputation. You're concerned about the reputation of the individual. You're concerned about the health of the church because you're concerned about the glory of God. May we be a people who are, are so concerned about the glory of God that, that we are going to, to deal lovingly but firmly with the sin of our, of our own lives and also the sin of our brothers and sisters for the glory of God. Let's pray together.